Okay, we're in a series, How to Make the Most of a New Year. And this is the third and last in our series. And we've looked at Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, as God's formula on how we can shape and control the destiny of our lives. It's simple, it's direct, and it works. It's something you can put your teeth in, walk out of here today, and start doing to change your future so you have a better or best year ever. And we're going to talk about weed killer for bad seed. And I'll show you a little bit about it and a couple of things you may not have thought about. Genesis 8.22 is God's formula. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall never cease. God says these four things will never change. And we've seen a lot of things come and a lot of things go always around us. But God says these four, as long as the earth remains, will never stop. Now, we also saw that the law of seed time and harvest, our sowing and reaping, impacts all areas of our lives. Our marriages, our finance, our health, our relationships, our career, everything about us. Seed time and harvest, like day and night, affects everybody all the time, whether you're asleep or awake. Galatians 6, 7, Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that is what he's going to reap. Now, when I grew up in church, that verse was always used pretty much exclusively for judgment. But that's an agricultural law. It's not a judgment law. It's a fact of life. <clears throat> if you sow corn, you're going to get corn. If you sow wheat, you're going to get wheat. If you sow strife, you're going to get strife. You sow some good stuff, you're going to get some good stuff. You sow some bad stuff, you're going to get. How tough is that? It, it really isn't a judgment. It's a law that operates in the earth, and you get to choose, good or bad. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. No one on earth can escape the principle of seed time and harvest. And God says the only escape from this law is to leave planet Earth. So if you're breathing and you're alive and you're here, this law is operating in your life right now. It's operating 24-7, whether you know it or not, believe it or not. Whether you're asleep or awake, it's working. Now we saw God put those four immutable laws into creation for a real good reason. He wants to limit chaos, confusion, and He wants to maintain order or peace. So God doesn't want your life, your marriage, your health, your finances, your relationships in chaos. Now, that's part of the enemy's work. The Bible says God is not the author of chaos or confusion. So if you see it, God's not in it. God sets things in order. Boom, 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 boom. And that's, that authority is how we govern in nations that have order and some semblance of peace. God gives us the power to control it. If, if those things could change, if Satan could change them, we would live in perpetual chaos. But the devil himself cannot stop day and night, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer. He can't stop it. So this is going to work for everybody, anytime, all the time. So God wants to limit chaos, maintain order. Notice, seed time and harvest was the only one of the four you and I have any access to at all. 
This gives us a measure of control on the outcome of our future, and I'm believing most of you would like to embrace a good future. I can change and shape my future through the law of seed time and harvest. Have you ever looked back, us that are older, have you ever looked back 20, 30, 40 years and said, oh, I wish I'd have made a, that choice different. I wish I hadn't been stupid and rebellious and done that. Yeah, you can't go back, but you can reshape the future. I wish I, Jim and Williams and I were talking back in the speaker's room and I said, I'd like to have 20 years back in my body, Tw 20 years and keep what I know. Yeah, I mean, but you can't go back. That's just old men talking stupid, you know, <laughs> fantasy. You can't go back there. I don't care how much barley green you eat, you know, it's gone. It ain't coming back. But we can definitely shape the future of our lives, our homes, our marriages, our health. We can do that. Now, we said this, everything you and I are and everything we have today is mostly, not exclusively, but generally the result of seeds that have been sown in our past. We didn't get where we are today in our marriage, our health, our finances, our relationship with God. We didn't get there today. We were watching the X Games back there, and we were watching uh, the guys on skis do triple somersaults and backflips in Aspen and all, and then we watched some of them do it as they came down the icy slopes. And I remember saying, that kid did not get there today. He's been doing that for years and probably had some horrible wipeouts to go with it. So you just don't get that way overnight. It takes time. So we are where we are by what we sowed yesterday. So all of us today are the product of what's been sown in our past. But here's the good news. You can start today with a positive action in the law of seed time and harvest, and you can change the future. You can never change the past, but you can change the future. Now, how do I know it's going to work? Because God says, as long as the earth remains. So best I know, folks, we're still here. The earth is still here, right? So, if you sow, you're going to reap. If you don't, faint. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season. Women that get pregnant have a due date. Uh, the, the animal life has a due date. Everything has a due date. God says, don't be weary and quit. Be long-suffering, be patient, because you're going to reap in due season if you don't quit. And we become a nation of quitters. We want everything instant, instant, instant. How can I lose 20 pounds in a week? Well, we can go to a surgeon and cut it out, I guess. That's pretty quick. But, but I have a couple of friends that will have to decompose for six months after I bury them to lose that much. <laughs> They're friends, and they know it, and they don't care. But I am certain as I am, winter's going to follow summer, cold's following heat, day will follow night. You reap if you sow and you don't quit. Okay, that's review. Here's the message then. Two questions I get asked about seed time and harvest quite often. Question one, is everything that's wrong with my life completely all my fault? Is it all the direct result of sowing bad seed? That's question one. Question two, is it possible to abort a bad seed harvest? Well, let's start with question one. Is everything that's wrong with my life completely and totally all my fault because of bad sowing? Answer, no. 
There are some people who have been hurt who did nothing wrong. The first murder occurred when Cain murdered his brother Abel. What did Abel do? Did he sow bad seed to reap being murdered? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, he got murdered because he brought an acceptable offering to the Lord. The first fruit, he brought the tithe. His brother did not. God accepted uh, Abel's and rejected Cain, and Cain got mad and killed him. The first murder in the Bible was over how to worship God between two brothers. All Abel did was bring the offering God commanded, and his brother killed him. Look at Joseph. All he did was tell his brothers about the dream he had about reigning over them. Probably wasn't real smart, but it wasn't bad seed. It was truth. It wouldn't produce kidnapping, slavery, and imprisonment, but he suffered. Bad things happen to good people. Another example is Job. Job proves you can't always explain your present situation by understanding your past. Job sowed no evil seeds. In fact, God said he was the most upright man in the whole earth. God bragged on him to the devil. I'm not sure he's ever done that with me, but he did with Job. (laughs) Some of you think, oh, that'd be nice. I'm not too sure, because probably the devil said, no, I hadn't considered him, but I will now. You know what I'm saying? Now he's on the radar. So Job's in trouble, but not for doing anything bad, but for doing good. His friend said, it must be some sin you've done. I mean, your kids are all dead. You lost two homes in F5 tornado. You've lost all your cattle, your sheep, your money's all gone, and you got boils all over your body. You must be reaping. God said, no, Job was being tested. A big test. Here's what James 1 verse 2 says, brothers, count it all joy when, you're, when you fall into various trials or tests. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. It's kind of like going to the gym. When you push and exert your muscles uh, and strain them, test them, then your muscle has a chance to get tighter and grow, right? But it isn't going to grow if you don't push any resistance. So when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. Is it possible to suffer from the sins of others? Yeah. A person makes a contract to pay you, then he lies and defaults. You didn't sow bad seed. You're simply being cheated. So not every bad thing in your life is the direct result of your own bad sowing. There are people by the thousands being laid off in the valley because oil and petroleum is down to what, $26 a barrel? And they can't make any money off of it, so thousands of people are going to lose their job. Or the economy tanked in 08 and corporations lost billions of dollars and they had to slash employees who had done nothing wrong, who had worked hard, maybe with integrity and excellence, but they lost their job, but they didn't do anything wrong. Is anybody listening? Anytime something bad happens to somebody, the first thought of the average Christian is, wonder what they did. How about nothing, bozo? There is a devil, there is a broken world, 
a drunk can run a red light and hit my car. I didn't do anything. I wasn't even speeding that day. (laughs) We live in a broken world. Bad stuff happens. I'm trying to get you to think straight. Not everything bad is a result that you sowed anything bad. But let me close with a postscript on that one. But some of it is, and you know it. Some of it is. Take the Lord Jesus. What did He do? All He ever did was right and good. Look what they did to Him. Was His crucifixion on the cross the reaping of any of His sowing? No. Pilate said, I find no fault in Him. Nothing. He had done nothing wrong. He was taking man's place, man's punishment for man's own seed, man's sin, bad seed of sin. So everything bad in your life is not always because of bad sowing. Now, the big question, can I abort a bad harvest? Is it possible? Say you finally come to the revelation you've been sowing bad seed, maybe in your marriage, in your finances, in your moral life, in relationships. I don't know. You pick it. And now you want to do what's right. You really do. Can you stop the evil harvest that has not yet come in? Is there any way to abort it or stop it? Watch my answer, and I'll prove it. Yes, in some cases, but not all cases. How many of you can remember the trial of Carla Faye Tucker in Texas back in about 1998? She used an ice pick, an ice, a pickaxe to brutally murder two people in Texas. Do you remember the campaign to try to spare her life on death row because she had been born again in prison? And the argument was, she's saved. She's born again. She can now be a useful citizen. We don't need to put her to death. And I remember at that time, Governor Bush refused to stay the execution. So in 1998, Carla Faye Tucker was the first woman executed in Texas since the Civil War. Now, I'm sorry to see Carla die, but listen, listen now. If Governor Bush, not Pastor Bush, if Governor Bush had pardoned her on the basis of a professed faith in Christ, how many know next week everybody on death row would be saved and argue, well, you let Carla go, you got to let me go. Then the state, listen, then the state would be put in a position of deciding whether you're faking or not. But the state does not have that right, nor is it called or equipped to do that. In fact, even you and I can't do that. 2 Timothy 2 verse 19 says, the Lord knows them that are His. The Lord. Now, obviously, you can know you are saved, but that's about it. John 20, verse 31 says, But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in His name. But the Bible never gives you or I the right or power to know absolutely who is and who isn't. You know, heaven may hold a few surprises for some of you. Really, you with the clipboards, you're going to be shocked. I hope you see Elvis Presley. Capital punishment was God's idea, not man's idea. God said in Genesis 9-6, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. 
Now listen to Romans 13, verse 4. This is governmentally. For that government agent, whether it's a judicial uh, law, a judge, uh, police force, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is God's minister, think of that, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. This is God's way of keeping order, maintaining peace, and defeating chaos, or it'd be a free-for-all. So God put government in place. This is not, the, this is not uh, r- r- biblical authority here. God gave authority to government officials to bear the sword in vain, to arrest, to imprison, and to execute. Man didn't come up with that. God came up with that. Now, of course, that's not for manslaughter or negligent homicide. Capital punishment is for premeditated murder, and murder is punished by execution. And it disturbs me how many Christians are ignorant of God's own law and don't want to obey it. Does capital punishment deter anybody? Oh, I think it deters the one who murdered because he ain't going to do it anymore. He's permanently deterred. Some critics of capital punishment say that human life is sacred, so it's wrong to take a human life with a death sentence. Really? They don't mind abortion. Read the Bible. It is for the very reason God said human life is precious, that when you take the life of a human made in the likeness and image of God, you forfeit your own life because life is precious. God made it in His image. That's why we don't mistreat people. That's why we don't abuse people or hurt people. These are people, whether they're uh, Christian or not, they're made in the image and likeness of God. So God wanted to limit chaos and maintain order. Does that make sense? Your government, uh, those are officials. I realize some officials are corrupt. I realize there are rogue preachers. There are rogue uh, politicians. There are rogue police officers. But in general, God put the whole plan to keep some order. He's put it in a family to keep, not because you're better or you're best or you're smarter or you're more, to keep order. It's just that simple. To keep, if everybody's got an equal vote, if everybody's got equal authority, we've got total chaos. No, no, no. So our military works, works on that principle. Our government works on that principle. You go to a nation or walk in a home where that is not working, and you just stepped into anarchy. Whoa, total confusion. So let me give you four things to do to abort a bad harvest as best you can. You ready? Here's the first one, and it's pretty simple. How about repent? Very few believers understand repentance. It's not just being sorry you got caught or that you ended up in a mess. It means stop, change the way you think, turn around, and go the other way. That's it. Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching, the, uh, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When some of the Pharisees and Sadducees came where he was baptizing, John said to them, politically correct, you brood of vipers, (laughs) you snakes, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. So another word for repentance means to change your mind. To such a degree, it produces a behavior. Have you ever changed your mind about something? 
I remember I grew up in the deep south. My grandparents raised me, and, my, and, and we didn't have Google or anything, and we, we weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer back in the deep south. And my grandmother told me that if I drink milk eating fish, it would poison me. Well, my grandmother, she goes to church, takes me to church, loves God. She's a great woman. What I know. So I never, ever had fish and milk, ever. And she said the changing seasons meant the rapture was going to occur any moment. Grandma was the sweetest woman you'd love her, but Grandma was a very poor theologian. And I learned better. But I was wondering if you've ever changed your mind about something. I've changed my mind in marriage, raising kids. I've changed my mind about a lot of things. And that's good. That's a good thing. When God's working and you get truth, it exposes error. I hope to God you can change your mind about the way you think. About That's how you repent. Matthew 4, verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if you have a revelation that some part of your life is in a mess, and it's a mess because you sowed bad seed, and you want to kill the crop that's going to come in unless you do something, step one, repent. Stop it. Now, let me give you some illustrations where that literally became true, and God changed His mind because people repented, all right? Number one, Jonah, chapter 3, verse 6. Then word came to the king of Nineveh about the judgment that was coming that Jonah had preached. And he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes. Verse 8, the king pronounced, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away his fierce anger so we may not perish? Verse 10. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the disaster that He said He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. Now, if you were living in Nineveh, those were sweet words, and He did not do it. Then there's a guy named King Ahab. Oh, he's a piece of work. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 27, so it was. When Ahab heard from the prophet Elijah these words of judgment coming on him, that he tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his body, fasted, lay in sackcloth, and went about in humility mourning. And the word of the Lord came to the prophet Elijah saying, hey, did you notice how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. Now, you got to know this. Let me tell you a little bit about Ahab. Verse 25, there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. God says of Ahab, I haven't had anybody as bad as you. So that ought to give all of you a deep breath of relief that God spared judgment on what he called the most wicked king he ever. How'd you like to have that on your resume? Worst one God ever had. (laughs) I'm just trying to show you this is true. So stop what you're doing for God's sake once you know, and start sowing the right seed. Okay? 
repent. Number two, forget the past. Philippians 3, 13, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. You cannot change your past, so stop beating yourself up for it. It will do you no good at all. Isaiah 43, 18, remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. I've talked to so many people about living a bad life, and now God's got a good part of their heart. They're walking uprightly. They've got a renewed mind. They're thinking better. They're making better choices, but boy, they lived wicked. And God loved them, and they're so guilty about it. And for a long time, some of these people kept telling me their story, and they would tell other people their story, almost like a Protestant penance that if I tell you how bad I was and how wicked I was and how debauched I was and what I did wrong, the more I'll tell you that, then the more God will forgive me and love me and know I'm sincere. You are nuts. Number one, you're a new creature now. If you've repented of your sin and trusted Jesus, He says, as far as the east is from the west. Now, if you go east, you can never get west. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far He's removed our sin, our transgression, and said, I will remember them no more. It's kind of like delete. There's no record. There, and you just keep puking that stuff out. Well, I'm going to tell my, the, my future husband, you don't tell him anything. Shut your mouth. You don't tell her anything. You don't rehash the past. You do exactly what God said. You forget it, and you move forward to the new life He's given you in Christ. If God does not remember it, I don't want to hear it. We, picked, we had a man in Waco 30 years ago, had the one, at that time the, one of the biggest churches in, uh, in Texas, married two children, and was involved in a homosexual affair with Baylor students. He lost his job. I've known him through James Robinson, so the elders and I called him. He seemed very genuine in his repentance and brokenness. We picked up his salary for a whole year. We didn't throw him under the bus. We brought him here. We took him on trips. We paid for ministry for them. But over and over, he felt so guilty and so ashamed, he kept telling that story. And and finally, I think it was three months later, I said, I'm your friend. I'm going to be as close to you as a brother. I don't want to hear another detail. I don't want to hear you mention this again. I said, the average Christian wants to know every sordid detail of this deal. I know generally what happened. That's it. I don't want to know any details. Shut up. Don't mention it again. And I would would not give him. Tell us more about it. Tell us more about it. No. When you come to God and make a full confession, it's over. It is over. I mean, as far as God remembering it, it's never held against you anymore. You need to hear that. Stop rehearsing your past. Forget it. Move forward to the new person you are. It's going to be a new day. And don't tell other people about your dirt from the past. Okay? That's good advice. Don't, it doesn't make you more righteous. Well, I just want to be honest. You're not being dishonest. It's nobody's business. And who wants to hear it? What good comes out of that? I've heard some of the stupidest things preached. Well, when I don't, you know, 30 years ago I did so and so, and I probably ought to tell my wife. And I, no, no. 
No. You can end up breaching this whole thing. Yeah, that's who you were. That's not who you are. That's all changed now. All right? Number three, possess the present. God told Adam, take dominion over the earth, bring order out of the chaos. Then He tells Adam, behold, I've given you seed. No matter what your present condition is in your marriage, your health, your finances, your relationship with God, you have the seeds of your own deliverance in your hand right now. God doesn't give you trees. He gives you seeds. And there's a time space between sowing and reaping. It's not instant. It says in Revelation 2 verse 21, this is Ahab's wife. She's a picture too. Her name is Jezebel. Jezebel. Have you ever noticed that some names are so forever tarnished, they're never used again? Not one mother will ever name her daughter, well, she's so cute. What'd you call her? Jezebel. No. What's your son's name? Judas. No. No. Benedict Arnold. No. Those names are lost forever. They're symbols of betrayal and treachery, right? Nobody does that. And so this is the wife of Ahab. She's a witch. And God gives her a space to repent. She could have. She could have, but she didn't. So it's usually not immediate, but the greatest thing you can do is to take responsibility for your life, stop blaming your unhappiness, your depression, your bad attitude on your wife or husband or mom or dad or school or teachers or government. Take responsibility. Possess the present. I may not like where I am at the moment. Okay, good. That's okay, because you're sowing your way out. You are. You are. Number four, you shape the future by vision. When Jesus said, Father, I finished the work you sent me to do, that implies He knew what the work was. Vision for the future gives you power in the present. When I see what's coming, when I see what God has for me, it gives me the power to press through the nasty now and now of what isn't good. And there'll be a lot of what isn't good in every life. But if you don't have a vision of the future, you'll dry up, shrivel up, and quit. But if you see a better future, you're going to press through. So if I want order and peace instead of chaos, I get to choose through seed time and harvest. It gives me a measure of control. The thief on the cross, by the way, repented, said, Lord, Remember me when you come into the kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But he didn't get off the execution. Choices have consequences. You beat up your wife, you're abusive emotionally, verbally, or physically. Finally, your wife finally has enough, files for divorce. So you go to church, you said, I need to get right with God. I don't want my wife to divorce me. I love my wife, although I've been neglectful or abusive or whatever. For years, you've been sowing bad seed, and now it's over. Finally, thank God, she's had enough, and she files for divorce. So you repent, get hands laid on you, a couple of people say shaba shaba, wah wah, whatever, and pick up, put some little Holy Ghost gold dust on you or whatever. And let me tell you what's going to happen when you leave church. She's still going to hate your guts, and she's still filing that divorce. Now, let me, let me, this is us in coffee. Uh, Another, supposing you're genuine, supposing that's absolutely real, you really see what a wretch you were as a husband, 
a spouse, and you really want to change. You've sown seed so long that it may be impossible to have that restored, that relationship. You may make a great husband now and father, but not to her. You can go on and recreate a good new future, but it may be impossible. Occasionally, only occasionally, there's enough grace where a spouse may say, I'll give it a shot. And that's occurred. There are people in here that, that have had that wonderful miracle happen, but it's not a guarantee, right? That you, that, that, well, God forgave me. Well, that's right. But you've lost all trust with her. You've been so in eight years. You want to run down here and say, I'm right with God, and suddenly she's going to forget eight years of abuse? You must be insane. And a lot of Christians, I think, are. They're nuts. Not going to happen. Maybe you were a terrible employee. You're not good. You're on time. You allow chaos and confusion. You lose your job. Oh, I want to change. I want to be more excellent. I know I'm not doing this. I know I want. Okay, but you've lost your job. God forgives you, but it doesn't alter the fact that you still have consequences for your choice on earth. Sometimes, because remember, if there's more than one person involved, the other person doesn't have to go along with this deal. They don't have to. They can take a ride. So I just want to say, sometimes God averts the whole bad harvest, but you can abuse your body for 20 years. You can, you can get hypoglycemia, you can get high blood pressure, you can destroy organs, you can de deteriorate your heart, you can clog your arteries. You can get such bad health out of bad seed that finally you put in a stroke, you're in an e emergency room on a machine, and a doctor says, we've got to lose this much weight, and you've got to take some precautions and exercise. Now you want to do right. Okay, you can sew yourself back into reasonably good health, but there may be damage to your body that's irrecoverable. You can't get that back. You can't get that back. So stay, stay, stay folk. God forgives you, but it doesn't change the consequences of other people that you've hurt. If I, run, if I drive drunk and I kill four people, I, I'm guilty. God forgive me. I am so sorry. I am forgiven. But I did not escape the judicial system that there must be a consequence for that, and I must be willing to pay it. I, I hope everybody sees that. There's a difference in what God says, I forgive, I pardon all your iniquity, but hey, uh, you're going to be arrested in 30 minutes, and, uh, or you're going to have the car repossessed, and your wife has filed for divorce, and it's final. That's not going to change. But you can change, and you can start building a great future. So you don't have to walk around with your chin dragging on the ground. We've all made mistakes. We've all made bad choices. And thank God for His mercy and forgiveness that I can't change the past, but I can take seed time and harvest and build a great, great future and have a great, great life. So how do I have order? How do I have peace in my life? I build it. I build it through seed time and harvest over the long haul, and you can enjoy a great 2016 and have the best one you've ever had. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.